0: Six days ago, astronaut Mark Watney became one of the first people to walk on Mars. Now, he's sure he'll be the first person to die there. After a dust storm nearly kills him and forces his crew to evacuate while thinking him dead, Mark finds himself stranded and completely alone, with no way to even signal Earth that he's alive. And even if he could get word out, his supplies would be gone long before a rescue could arrive. Chances are, though, he won't have time to starve to death. The damaged machinery, unforgiving environment, or planoid human error are much more likely to kill him first. The Martian by Andy Weir. Book Bash! Welcome to our book club podcast where we pick a book to read each month that we then review. The best part is, you can join our book club! Just read the book with us and give your own feedback on the book and our reviews in the comments below. But be warned, if you haven't read the book and you want to listen to the show anyway, there will be spoilers. We choose the book for the next episode at the end of this one. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening.
1: Alright, got your movie voice going on there.
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Book Bash. I am your host, Josh, joined as always by... Garner! With an eyepatch.
2: Alex, without an eyepatch.
0: The eyepatch returneth yeah, no. so that his face does not explode. That'd make a very interesting podcast episode, though. <laughs> so, we've read The Martian this week. Yeah. My recommendation. Yeah.
1: So now we get to find out
0: why. Now we get to find (laughs) out why I made you do it again. Um, yeah, I I recommended The Martian because, uh, when, when I first heard about it, I heard about the movie, of course, and then people started talking about the book that the movie was based on, um... And it was getting a lot of positive reviews. Like, the YouTube channels I I watched often are supported by Audible. Unlike us, Audible, what the hell? Yeah. And,
1: uh... That's uh, because we're supporting them.
0: (laughs) And then they would recommend a book. And then, like, half of the channels were recommending The Martian because it was, like, the big um, upcoming film and was a good book. And so I was like, well, you know what? I haven't done this in a while. Why don't I read the book first before I see the film? Oh. And, uh, I really enjoyed the book, and then never got around to watching the film. Until now. Um, I watched it for, to give some compare and contrast for this podcast, but, um, that's not what we're gonna do 100% here. But we We will will do it. There will be some of it, yeah. Yeah, there's gonna be, there's gonna be a little bit of talk about it. Because, Garner, you've also seen the movie. You saw the movie first, right?
1: Yeah, I saw the movie first, so I have the opposite in, and, uh. And it's actually been many months since I've seen a movie.
0: Okay.
2: And I just haven't seen a movie.
0: There you go. Um, So I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, not only well written, but I really enjoyed the characters and the sort of um, kind of like the way the story is told, like from the different perspectives and and vignettes of uh, scene to scene sort of thing. But this was essentially reading it again, so
1: the question was... Why again? Though? Why again? Yeah.
0: Uh, frankly, because I have an unhealthy relationship with sharing things with people, <laughs> <laughs> and so when I like something, I want to make sure that other people can experience that and possibly like it as well. And You're like so, a missionary. So I've I've burdened it upon you all. I just wanted you, I just wanted you to say it. Experience with me. I need human connection. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So typically we
1: go likes and then dislikes and banter in between.
0: I'm going to make you go first, Guy. What did you like, like about, about the, the book? book? Yeah. So
1: um, there's actually quite a few things that I like, but I'm just going to put it down to like three things. I really liked all the NASA segments, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, actually having worked in aerospace and just kind of like the bullshit. Like, th- there's a meeting that happens and one of the guys is like why is she here because she's like some underling (laughs) right i have been her at a meeting yeah where there's nothing but big wigs and they're like why the hell is that guy here (laughs) right and that um andrew weir must really understand like that it was it was actually very realistic (laughs)
2: <laughs> well not only that but the media portrayal on earth of everything going on like they oh, even yeah. give them a half an hour segment every day on cnn oh yeah, yeah. on just the Mark yeah. watney show
0: yeah
2: or the pr chick trying to figure out what the hell are you doing to me you're screwing up all the pr stuff
1: oh yeah actually the pr angle was uh, was very interesting because like they knew they, they would rather not say the things that they had to say mm-hmm. but they knew that other people would find out yeah. Right? And they're like, well, we got to beat him to the punch. We yeah, got yeah, to control. the, re-
0: the media release. The other thing
1: I really liked is um, there was actually some, like, um, serious mechanical stuff. So there's a part later on in the book, which is actually skipped in the movie, um, where he leaves, like, his electrical drill out. And it, like, fucks oh, yeah. everything over for him. There's even a part, like, where he describes how to drill, like, like... He was having difficulty drilling into this thing, and so then he starts um, making pilot holes before he drills it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I actually really liked the the mechanical side of it. Um, I was actually fairly surprised about that. So
0: and so much math. Yeah. <laughs> there was some
1: math. Um, I think the the other the third thing I liked is um, I did actually really like the characters. There's only two characters in the entire book that I felt were like interchangeable and they were really hard for me to tell the difference between the two of them Um, and it was Beck and the German dude Mm -hmm. and I can't I could never Vogel 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 and Beck I couldn't really tell like who was who or how their roles were different and they to me they were Vogel should have stayed and Beck should have been Vogel they should have just been the same guy
0: what was really interesting too is that they were often partnered in the same scenes together
1: yeah they are always together too yeah so, like, but otherwise, I love the characters. I really liked Lewis. Like, the, like um, you know, they made Lewis, even though she was a woman, and they made her, you know, one of the more emotional characters. She was, um, um, like, like, the reasons, like the way she explained things, I felt was really good. Like, later, um, they're like, oh, we all left him there. And, you know, Lewis yeah. is like, no. yeah, You guys right. followed orders.
0: I like that, in spite of her being the more emotional character, she was very clearly an adept leader. Mm-hmm. Even when she was, you know, feeling them feels. Yeah, I could, I could
1: actually respect someone like Lewis. Lewis reminded me a bit of um, my Lieutenant Commander Kelly back when I was in JROTC. Oh, yeah. So uh <laughs> So, so uh, I actually really liked it. So, so those are my three th- favorite parts about the book. I like, I like the mechanical side. I felt the NASA portrayal was really good, and I like the characters. Okay.
0: Um. I definitely liked, uh, which I know might come up on, on the other side of this coin, but I actually really liked a lot of, like, the the logbook sections, the sort of first-person oh, storytelling of Mark <laughs> Watney. I may, be,
2: I may be on an island here,
0: but I want to go forward with that. Okay, um, all right. I enjoyed them because I have... I have this, like, um, I don't know how to put it, but I, I like the stories that sort of uh, play with formula a little bit. And to not only do it from a first-person perspective, but to do it in sort of this first-person retro perspective under, like, the loosed format of a logbook, where he's just like... Because in the movie, you know, it looks like he's just talking into a recorder, but it's very clear in the novel that he's typing in, like, a, a journal log... And um, I, I kind of like the way that they sort of use that to help him tell his own story. And, uh, and so like when something bad happens, you're not necessarily there in the moment, but you're hearing him recount it for record's sake. Um, like there's other uh, reading outlets that I like, like uh, the SCP Foundation, which is this um, uh, website, uh, that where artists can freelance artists can just go and submit articles to this, and it's all very X Filesy, but it's done in a very like official format, like like you're filling out paperwork for this fictional company on weird and bizarre events or anomalies or people and monsters and stuff, and but it's all done with this very official format, but it's all totally fiction, and I kind of like the sort of restrictions. The challenge of the restrictions that that format holds and the way people can express themselves with it. And I felt that Andy Weir did a really good job with this logbook restriction he applied to himself and managed to still tell an interesting and exciting story with it. Like hearing Mark Watney describe the events where his, you know, the, the airlock explodes off the hab and throws him around a bit. Like... I like the way they do that. And then sometimes they actually have, like, transcripted audio logs of him just, like, swearing and dealing with the moment. Or um, they'll change to, like, the back-and-forth log of text conversations between him and NASA in the middle part of the book, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so the way the, narr- the narrative sort of jumps around through those different mediums to tell the story in a very sort of visceral, I'm reading a report kind of way... I sort of enjoyed <clears throat> I think you actually just, not just sort of enjoyed
1: it, you really enjoyed it.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah, you really enjoyed it. I, I liked
1: it. I think, uh, I, I just have to mention about that. Uh, one of the things I also love, and I just always have to put this out here for fiction, Mark Watney is no loser. There's actually many times, <laughs> like, he. This just like, well, I'm probably <coughs> fucked, but I'm going to try my best. And then he does, right? Like, he actually has, like, this, you know, he exudes problem-solving. Yeah, and uh, I uh, so again, I'm glad to read a book where there is a problem solver as the main character. Yeah,
0: so it's kind of right. like Space MacGyver.
2: So I have two favorite things, and I'm going to build on Josh a little bit. Ooh. Regardless of what I think of the rest of the book, Andy Weir is an amazing storyteller. How he can weave first person and NASA third person, and mm-hmm. the text back and forth logs. He even has like an overhead. You know, our intrepid adventurer just rolled over in his thing to weave all that together and make it work so well. Andy Weir is amazing.
0: I really feel like this transitions between like having Mark Wagner, like the first fucking six chapters of the book are just him reporting on how shit's bad. And then you finally, like at the beginning of chapter six, you get to see what Earth is doing, you know? And it switches to this classic, more third person narrative. And I thought that that was a great choice because it really drives home the loneliness that Mark is dealing with on space. Mm -hmm. It's not just a story about a man alone on Mars. It's his story. Because he's got no one else. There's no one else to tell it. Right. It's just him over there. All right. So you have a second one.
2: I do have a second one. The... Humor in his logs is what really kept me reading the book. Because I I had this very love-hate relationship with it. I hated the first person, (laughs) no matter how well Andy Weir did it. Mm -hmm. I hated the first person. But then he would do something like (laughs) rename Kilowatt Hours to Pirate Ninjas.
1: Right, yeah. (laughs) Or he
2: would just be... And it's very authentic humor. It's like, I'm fucked. Or just very... What somebody... Would say if they're just writing to themselves. And even, like, his little comments where, uh-oh, I'm talking to NASA, somebody might actually read these. Maybe yeah, I, I love those
1: words, like, maybe I should start doing my job
0: because I'm not going to die.
2: Or probably one of my favorite parts, and I was even warned about <laughs> it, was NASA's like, you know, everybody's reading this, you should watch your language, and he's like, hey, boobies. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the book, he actually does, like, emoticon Yeah, boobies. he actually
0: does, like, the textile...
2: Which you don't get in the audiobook, but yeah. it, like I said, I was born beforehand. So that kind of authentic humor is really what kept me plodding along.
1: I do want to comment on the audio book portion. The uh, the dude who does the entire book just filtered a bit what you know, it's so many freaking characters. He actually does a pretty decent job of giving different voices yeah, to R- the different characters.
0: R. C. Br- Bray reads it on audible and he does do a really good job. Of, of making characters feel like different people what, what he's
1: really good at doing because actually like um the voice of the Hindu middle manager dude mm-hmm. uh what was his name was like Vanket. Vanket, yeah, Vanket, Vanket right Kapoor. like i really like Vinkit Kapoor, right and um he um he essentially had the same voice as vogel but because vogel and Vinkit never talked in the same scenes <laughs> you know it wasn't too noticeable yeah right and um and so like the the actor actually had like you know quite a few voices I was actually surprised at how well he could do uh female voices and I was yeah. I was thinking to myself I was like man I wish I had that skill for my pen and paper
0: gaming he also does like the tying Shen team really well too oh yeah, yeah. the Chinese dudes yeah yeah I was really impressed
2: I mean even just with the Mark Rodney voices how he can he does it very well like if somebody was actually writing the logs
0: yeah cause like what's one thing that's interesting for me um which is uh Something the book made me think a lot about was that um, with the conversations being between characters being often done through chat, like text chat, Mark Watney is a very sarcastic character and sarcasm isn't always easy to like, convey via text, mm-hmm. which I find interesting because this is a book <laughs> and right. the medium is traditionally text and so he manages to convey sarcasm without just being like hitting you over the head with it. And um but then R C Bray, when he reads it, does uh a really good job emoting that. Yeah. Um, and he does I felt like listening to it a second time, I could really feel like there was this extra layer of conveyance to the character of Mark Watney's journey from, you know, first uh the first day he's abandoned to the last day he's about to blast off the planet that might not have been very clear if i had just read it through that he's like slowly but surely his joviality and his ability to deal with everything with humor is like eroding away and like his mm. jokes are less like pip and you know oh everything sucks ha <laughs> and to just being like a lot more of these existential sighs and and like Ugh, i'm so sick of this place and you know, and and there's just this really like world weariness to him by the time he's about to blast off the planet. Yeah, Alex, did you want to say something? Nope. She's, not, she's got nothing.
1: So now, now Josh, you're gonna tell us. Yeah. What you didn't like about the book?
0: I, I'm gonna want to uh. do some
1: commentary after the not like part. By the way, <laughs> I do have some commentary about this book.
0: Oh sure. Um, I mean, we're we're definitely gonna be talking about the movie, though. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh... I'm actually going to talk about it in the negative part. What I didn't (laughs) like about the book... Let's see. Um... It might be a, a funny criticism to open with, but... There is some... Like, for a book that presents itself very grounded in reality... By even walking you through a lot of the math and stuff... That's... It's not all it's not all up to par. Like, there's definitely some things in this that will make you feel like, man, I know how to survive on Mars now. That it's just like, no. There's definitely some, uh... Not only deus ex machina to the brim, but, um... There's a lot of just sort of, like, shoddy science in the book.
1: Yeah, as far as the math goes, like, the way, like, he could, like, so precisely calculate certain aspects. Like, on one hand, I'm like, yes, but... No. <laughs> like, right. like, like reality is just like, yes, in, in your physics class, you get an A. Yeah, like in reality, reality, something's going to go wrong. Like well, there's... and
2: something does go wrong. Like sure, sure. When yeah. he's doing the fuel, he ends up with extra stuff in the air and almost blows up the hab.
0: Right. Yeah. So. I mean, he huh. describes, like, that scene where he's burning the hydrazine as back of the napkin math, which does end up, you know, um, nearly blowing him up in his face. But, uh. But at the same time the even the back of the napkin math is like pretty precise <laughs> like yeah. there's just an extra couple of factors you forgot to count and uh, in his equation but I feel like I you're touching like, on the super character here a little bit well or, you know I mean I don't have a big problem with super characters okay. when they're done in a fashion that's entertaining there that I could relate with <laughs> you know. It's like, yeah, Mark Watney is space
2: MacGyver. He's
0: like space everything. MacGyver was really popular. (laughs)
2: But, you know, that's why they choose astronauts as people who can do this kind of thing.
1: Sure, I'm willing to admit that you have to be pretty exceptional being an astronaut. But, like, you know, a lot of astronauts just die. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, Mark Watney's just like this complete and total anomaly. He's like really good at remembering the math off the top of his head and how to do a circuit and also is a good machinist. Although I did like how he originally tries to drill something without doing a pilot hole and he had to remind himself to do a pilot hole. I was yeah. like, this is more realistic. He's not good at everything. But he, he's just this character who's just like botanist practically an athlete like the shit he has to do there he's just like non-stop working all the time while starving <laughs> yeah
2: well he is a botanist and a mechanical engineer so he has a lot of the mechanical stuff botanist he's gonna have a lot of the chemical stuff and not only that but it's log books so we don't know how much he's looking up in the computer right, right. I actually sometimes wonder him he does a should...
0: couple times where he has to do some research like um, when he's searching for an ASCII chart he just doesn't know ASCII
1: you know. I actually thought it was really interesting how quickly he learned Morse code. Like, well enough on that he <laughs> yeah. could go rocks. I yeah. was like...
2: Well, again, it's log books. How much is he looking up? And he just learns it over repetition.
1: You know, what I think Andy Weir was trying to imply about the character is that the character can... The reason why Mark Watney is so smart is because he can pick up something like that. He can just pick it up. Like, he can learn something and remember it very quickly. Yeah. Right, because... Because like mechanical engineers are also circuit guys, right? Yeah. Usually that's not the case, and they are usually also botanists and also like Morse code, <laughs> you guys, right? <laughs> it's just, yeah. right? Like and and has a winning personality, right? <laughs> and has a winning personality. So so maybe maybe I just jumped in here, but you know like what I didn't like about the book is that Mark Watney's Gary suit. Okay,
0: all right, continue. That's all I really oh, got. Okay, I don't, Actually, there's not a whole bunch about the book that I'm like, "Ugh, this part of the book." Blah.
2: I will jump in with one more thing that I liked. He did not have a romantic interest.
0: Oh yeah, that's he true. did
2: not have like some girl on Earth waiting and wishing and hoping. I mean, the only romantic interest really was between two people on the space shuttle, and even that's very downplayed. It's only mentioned like a yeah. couple times in the book.
1: Actually, you know, the steam between Martinez and his wife. Yeah. a little. I actually really like that scene uh-huh. where she's like, she's like, he's like, you're pissed, aren't you? She's like, yes. <laughs> right. I really like that yeah. part. Uh, There's I, a
0: lot of like little subtle character affirmations like that where, like, they teach you um, just by describing those little subtle things that some of the characters do. I feel like really express like who that character is in a in a great way, like. um, the, the department head of NASA, Ted, what's his face? Like, there's at least three different scenes describing him, um, where it just offhandedly mentions him adjusting shit on his desk at right angles.
2: Yeah, he's very OCD. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's somebody who touches
1: their forehead a lot in the book. I yeah. was like, you know, like, what what are they doing? Like, I don't like, who touches their forehead?
0: Like, why are they do this? Well, well, there's just stuff like that that, that I was like, Man, I really like that because it really tells a lot about the character very simplistically. Yeah,
1: I mean, nailing home what Alex said, Anywhere is really good at writing the book.
0: Yeah. The book was
1: an audio format, only eight hours. We can go on and on about the details, actually. Yeah. Right? It's like actually are actually little subtle details all over the place that Anywhere nailed in.
2: So I will jump in with what I don't like since yeah, I know yeah, Garner's yeah. going to rant when he gets to his. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Chainsaw. <laughs> I didn't like first person, which I already said, but the other thing that I didn't like, and maybe I just missed it, was he's like rating everybody's entertainment and complaining about it all. Oh, but what the fuck was his entertainment?
0: Like, right?
2: did, he... <laughs> did he not bring
0: any music or television programs for himself?
2: Did I just miss the part where he, like, dropped it off a cliff or something? Did it just get destroyed in the initial accident? He was keeping
0: it near his abdomen when he got (laughs) stabbed. That's what happened.
2: (laughs) So he's just complaining and complaining and complaining. Which made for really funny interactions about hating 70s music and, you know, so-and-so did this on the sitcom today, but it just...
1: I like where he starts to convince himself that Vogel is... You know, a mad scientist? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like going through Vogel stuff. And and the 70s shows are convincing him that Vogel must be the bad guy. Well, the
2: yeah. 70s was Lewis. Yes.
1: But he was watching the shows oh. and it made yeah. him conclude that Vogel must be a mad
0: scientist or you know, he's
1: got an evil layer even. So, <laughs> On Mars.
2: <laughs> like Josh, I don't have much that I didn't like, so. Oh yeah, that was it, huh?
0: That was it. So, I have a question, though, I asked, why didn't you like the first person stuff? What is it about that medium <laughs> that rubs you wrong?
2: I don't even know. It's just, it's very it's kind of intrusive, like telling me what I'm thinking. Oh. Ah. Like, it's just very irritating. I can see that.
1: Uh, I mean, I could actually, you know, the springboard off that actually, if you've ever like sat down and listened to someone just go on and on about themselves in their day (laughs) without giving you a word edgewise and you know with certainty that even if you could break into the conversation to comment, they would just keep going It's just like, you know, it's so infuriating because you're just sitting there and this person's being just gushing about themselves. It's like really trying on uh, one's patience. I, mean, I think you have to be like a social worker to listen to that many hours of one person talk about their fucking day in order to not just be
2: like, shut the fuck
1: up and let me say something. Is he talking to you in his conversational tone.
0: Yeah.
2: I think the only thing that really saved it was that it was logbooks and not moment by moment. It was cut out a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it was yeah. I really
0: did feel like you know they were vignettes, and uh, I think that was a good choice. (laughs) I I mean, actually, I'm going to say
1: both as a criticism and as a plus. Right, I think that the moment they introduce NASA throughout the rest of the book, he it starts like chopping it up a lot more. Yeah, he starts splitting the scenes. And, and then, I really didn't mind or even notice that Mark Watney was in first person sometimes. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. It's just that very lengthy, like six chapters or something, where he's just going on and on at the beginning of the book, where it was really, really hard.
0: Yeah, like, I, I think I could compare this with uh, another sort of similar story, which is The Castaway i haven't i don't know if there's a book i'm gonna look that up real quick but i had seen the movie and i remember one of the criticisms i had on that movie was that it felt so dry because you spent so much of it just watching tom hanks like figure out how to survive quietly and and just go through like the mindless tedium of surviving on by your you know, his lonesome day in and day out until he went crazy enough to start talking to his volleyball and then had conversations that had very little to do with what was going on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was more like, his esca- like watch this man- lonely man's escapism. Aren't you entertained? <laughs> Maybe it could be entertaining.
1: I-, I think Mark Watney's much more entertaining, though, because he wasn't just, like, losing it. Right. And I mean, he was losing it a little bit, but...
0: And he constantly had stuff to do. Like, stuff it needed to do, you know? Where, like, uh... Tom Hanks in *The Castaway* was more like just other than trying to get food, and that was pretty much it.
2: But I do like how they point out, you know, I'm basically a stay-at-home, lazy nobody. I work for like two hours a day, and then I just watch sitcoms every day. Sit <laughs> yeah, you watch
1: sitcoms in the have. Yeah, I did. Um, I did like how he broke out of the day. Although I did find that Mark Watney was especially self motivated, considering her circumstances. Yeah. Like, a lot of people would just, like, crumble under, right? Like, he he was diligent and, like, planned out his day and, like, made sure to go to work every day. He didn't need no manager to walk him through it or anything. And, um, no, you know, frankly, for, for much of the book, nobody knows what Mark Watney's doing. Even after they make contact with
0: him. hmm Yeah.
1: So, did you find what you were looking for?
0: No, I, I couldn't figure out if it had a novel adaptation prior to the movie, but... Okay. okay, so
1: uh, other negative things. So, so that to me is like my strongest criticism about it. I have um, some more nibbling ones. The the longer I listened to the book, the less I was convinced that we should save Mark Watney. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, like the narrative is like building more and more on like how fucking critical it is to save Mark Watney and how everybody on Earth is on board. And I'm like no, you can barely get some gal who's being literally tortured by ISIS to get saved, Mm. right?
2: And he kind of goes over that at the end in, like, a few sentences, you know, everybody pitches in when there's a tsunami or an earthquake or this and this and this, and it's just that human need to pitch in. And that kind of really spoke to probably why Andy Weir wrote this book, Mm -hmm. is just he wanted to point out humankind is nice and...
0: I I think there's another grim story that takes place during this to the same time period as this event that's just some other economist somewhere going like we're wasting (laughs) so much money to save this one man simply because he has a half hour news episode every fucking day (laughs) and the people are super care about him so they'll put all of the world's money into saving his ass Just because it's exciting to have a guy trapped on Mars. Meanwhile, (laughs) the rest of this country is starving and losing its jobs. (laughs) It's not just the
1: economic sort of political side. Because interestingly, Andy Weir actually comments on that stuff. Yeah, he does. And intelligently comments on that. There is just seriously stupid shit that happens, right? <laughs> like, dude, like the guy Mitch should have been arrested. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like straight up arrested. Yes. Like he didn't just break a protocol. Like they should have gotten him in there and like like <laughs> they could have actually polygraphed him for what had happened.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Like. There is this feeling throughout the book like where all of humanity is somehow united under the we're gonna save this one fucking astronaut and risk the lives of the other five and I'm like, The fuck? (laughs) Right? Like, you're going to destroy, like, mankind's, like, greatest treasure, potentially? The Hermes is so goddamn important, you're going to waste it on this one fucking astronaut? Are you real? Like, it almost sometimes (laughs) made me angry. I was just like... At times, I was just like, no! The Hermes is uh, the treasure of planet Earth, you fucking assholes! Yeah. Right? So, um... Anyways. What I'm trying to say... Is Andy Weir did not convince me. Like, it was interesting because, like, at first I was like, yeah, I'm actually really on board. We should save Mark Watney. Like, like we have the means to do it. So yeah. we'll send him, like, a pod and we'll cancel some missions. And then we'll get him on the next one. Mm-hmm. And then as time goes on... What was interesting... By the way, I did not have this feeling in the movie. Oh. <laughs> that was what was really interesting. I did not have this feeling in the movie... In the movie, I just, like, went through and I was like, oh, that was touching, right? And, but as I continued to listen to, like, the, the multiple concessions and problems that they'd have to overcome, both, like, just the risk involved in the book yeah. and it all being laid out, I was just like, okay, now that I've had time to actually assess this fully and not just in, like, little one-minute scenes, I changed my mind. Fuck Mark Watney. <laughs> I would campaign against that guy in real life. I, I would I would get up there and go, you know, have like a, you know, let Mark Watney die protest. And the fact that the book did not have that, I actually think is what makes it the most fictional.
2: <laughs> Cuz it didn't have that splinter cell of people just opposing this left and it right. It didn't have
1: somebody who wanted him to die. Yeah. It is like Ted's like Ted's decision Was actually reasonable. And like when they all turned on him. I was just like. Wait a second. Ted did not get into his position. Without other people respecting him. And his ability to have like. To make a tough choice. Like his decision to, to leave him there. Is tougher than the decision of. Ah, fuck it, we'll just, we'll waste the treasure of Earth on this fucking guy.
0: Well, I mean, it was really only Mitch Hen- Henberg and, um, the, uh, the PR the representatives who were for that idea, and then, of course, the but they entire get the most crew works. of the, um, Hermes, you know, the entire remaining crew just sort of forced their hand.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um... So anyways, that aspect did I really did not like um, as I continued through the book. And um, there is um, a part like after a while where um, I as the listener developed like problem fatigue. like there's a there's a oh, section yeah. they cut yeah. from the book uh, from the movie. When, and it's interesting because it's actually a really, really important segment in the book, him actually needing to travel to Mars uh, to uh-huh. the Ares 4. Right? Like to get there and get to the MAV and he actually like crashes at some point and he has to like get past another
0: sandstorm yeah. and all that. And that's actually all cut from the movie. Right. They reduce it to a montage. Yeah, he just essentially like just goes on a road trip. Which also I found interesting, he's communicating with Hermes and NASA that whole time too. Yeah. Without any communications relay. Yeah, they cut the Morse code part. So
1: what's interesting is, as a book, like a lot of the best scenes in the book actually happened during that segment. But after a while, like it's just like, oh my god, right? Like it's just like, yes, I know, Andy. I mean, uh, I like, yes, Andy, we're, I know, Mark Watney's going to make it. So after a while, I don't care. Like it to me, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is, it actually would have been more interesting if one of the astronauts did die. Right. Cause after a while the problems did not seem real. They didn't <laughs> seem like they mattered because Gary Sue, Mark Watney always will win and no one's going to die.
0: Yeah, this like the stakes are set really high at the beginning and then I, I would say like when the HAB pops and blasts him across um in the airlock, that's like a really intense scene yeah and um it takes him like several days to recover from that incident alone and i feel like that that's one of the points where you really feel like wow this guy is really on death's door oh yeah anything any one thing could kill him at any moment but then later like you're saying during this um you know long haul trucking segment in the book where he's uh he flips the vehicle and and then evades a dust storm that would kill his power reserves. It it is kind of getting to this point where it's just like, man, another fucking trial. It, it, it like I wouldn't mind it. Like I actually thought the trials
1: that he had were realistic. Since yeah, had, and they, I mean, they were cool. Even
0: the book it makes them interesting. You know, Anywhere does a good job of making you care, but at the same time, yeah, I could totally see it. How, how you feel there, it's just like this fatigue, like, okay, like, well, how are we gonna, like, when when do the stakes get um, executed on? It's like Chekhov's gun, right? Yeah, it's, it's Chekhov's gun, gun. that's how
1: yeah. I feel, but I think Alex is trying to get in.
2: Um, It almost seems like Andy Weir himself got sick of all the problems. He's like, yeah. I need to continue the story, I need to create problems and tension to keep people reading, right. but like, when his vehicle flips, nothing pops, nothing major happens, it's just kind of like... Oh, here's a random problem, and it's going to be easy to overcome, or yeah. even the dust storm. It's yeah, it's yeah. a he, huge thing, but it doesn't he even like it critically
0: and... waste time for the guy.
1: Yeah, Alex, you, you, I think you're right. Maybe even go ahead, continue, continue. No, I'm I talking, think you're right.
2: I think Andy I think Weir right. got sick of his own got problems. sick of his own
1: thing. So, which is interesting. Going on to the movie commentary, yeah. the movie restructures the book. and, yeah. and I'm going to say it. I think the movie structure makes more sense and is better. Like, just better.
0: I don't know. I'd say the movie is, like, a good digest version of the story. But I still appreciate the book more. Because when I watch the movie, like, there's a lot of it that's, like, very faithful to the book. In fact, as far as a movie made based on a book, it is very faithful. Like, there are little scenes that just play word for word from the novel including like the whole opening segment where they're taking off in the dust storm although they put it in a different place in the book it's not right at the beginning but um, that whole scene is very word for word from the novel and uh, and yet there's you know there's very few little changes like when he types boobies in front of on public television you don't actually see what he says just everybody reacts with guffaws. Right right you know silly stuff like that um, I would say the most significant change is the ending which seems yeah. really arbitrary
1: yeah I did not like the uh, go, talking about what I did not like in the movie the whole where Lewis
0: has to do it yeah
1: I did not like that in, and, in the book it's
0: much more powerful And he ends up cutting his uh, suit and doing the Iron Man thing yeah w- which where... I thought was only in there because Iron Man was a successful movie. Yeah, it's still in the public's mind, you know. Like, we're going to make this reference and then we're going we're gonna to pay out on it. We want to see Mark walk in the Iron Man through space,
1: you know. Well, that, and I think in the movie, they, they have to do a visual medium. Right. Like what looks better, right? Sure. But but I really like, like I felt like Lewis, as a leader, seemed more powerful when she led and didn't like, yeah. have to personally put herself in danger, which exactly. is what happens in the movie. Right. They make the whole, for your reference Alex here, they make the ending where he gets shot up in there. Something goes wrong when Beck goes out to get him. So mm. Lewis has got to do it. Right? And um, and it's all like super dramatic, high tension. And, and he even has to like let go of the thing and do the the Iron Man play. Yeah, they
0: don't quite get close enough to actually go out and get him. So he's, they got to meet him halfway. Yeah, whereas in the book, you know, they even make
1: fun of him for that idea. They're like, yeah. no
0: idiot. Right? So I like that. But
1: um... Or, or rather, I didn't like the, that ending part in the movie, but I actually really liked the structure. I, I felt like in the book, they put his, oh, I'm stranded here part, and then they do it later as like a flashback of how it happened and what yeah. happened. I actually yeah. felt in the movie where they doped in the flashback, they just do it linear. But what I, think I felt much better.
0: really lacked in the movie that um, seemed really significant when you read it in the story is that... There's a lot of portions at the beginning of his, uh, being stranded on Mars where he's figuring shit out that they kind of, like, curtail into smaller chunks. Like, like, when he's doing the whole making his potato farm, uh-huh. that's almost a montage with a voiceover. Yes, absolutely and, it is. And, uh, I felt like the way he works out this whole process stage by stage in the book was done a lot better. Like in the book, he's burning the hydrazine, realizes he's fucked up, and you know goes spends a night in the um, in the uh, rover because he's afraid it's gonna blow up. In the movie, he actually blows it up. Like there's not a huge explosion, but there's like this small flash burn in his face, and like a comical moment where he sits down in front of the camera, still smoking, yeah, burns on his face, going, "I blew myself up." And I was like, "Well, uh, well no, I mean, he does that in the, the book
2: after he figures it out when he's trying to burn it off, but."
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a small one like that, but they they play it off very. Um, mm. I feel like they played it off weekly in the film.
1: Yeah, they, what they're doing is because, like, again and again, it's just like all visual medium, right? In the book, you can just hear his thought process and hear him like tackle the problem and yeah. the stakes of the problem. And in the movie, it, like, it wouldn't be very interesting to see him just be like hmm how do i go about this problem solved there's no visual
0: element, right and they did do some of that i saw in the film they do that some some well where they're doing this sort of like giving him visual cues to watching him go through the actual thought process instead of just ex- explaining how smart he is right um but uh but at the same time like in that scene particularly after he blows himself up he then goes to explain how like in the movie he says some some line of throwaway line about how oh, I forgot to calculate for the air I was breathing. But they gave like no groundwork for that. Right, right. So the comment just made no sense at all. Like he wasn't even wearing a mask when he was doing the experiment in the film. Like right. he didn't turn the oxygen off in the room. He's just like I forgot to account for the oxygen I was breathing out. Like what? Well, that I doesn't mean, make any sense. <laughs> well, what's interesting is, like, the book, if you had made, like, a giant
1: checklist of all the problems he ends up solving, right. it's just this absolute mountain. No,
0: and I absolutely get that you got to take eight hours of content and condense it into two. So there's going to be a lot of omissions, but I felt that some of the omission choices they made were sort of like, you could have done a little bit more.
1: And see, this is where I always feel like, when people are like, no, the book was better, I was like, no, more is not better. Right, well, like I don't want more problems. Like, well no, he could just
0: simply state it. Well, what I'm saying is that in the medium of the novel, you get the opportunity to fully explore a lot of the story because sure, yeah. there's just more room for content, um, and so you can be a little more. You can take your time more to build things. Right. and I understand that in the film, they've got to condense shit, and it's a visual medium. But I'm saying, even with those restrictions, I felt that some of their choices in telling this story were kind of wonky. Well, like, I mean, overall, yeah. it's still a good movie.
2: Like, they just don't explain the problem well enough for you to realize it's a problem.
0: Right, you're just kind of like, okay, I guess he blew up and, and it was a problem, but he solved it now. So, why did we have that scene? See, this is interesting, because
1: like, <laughs> I'm sure if I had read the book first, I'd be like, oh, they omitted this, they omitted this, they omitted sure. this, right? But I watched the movie first. Right. And so to me, listening to the book, I'm just like, okay... They just took what was like a 10-second, 15-second clip, and now I get a chapter on it.
0: Right. Like they, right. They're, they're trying to play homage to certain scenes that would be important to those who read it, but at the same time, I felt it was just a little sloppy. Right. Like, I, like you know, they admitted the whole trailblazing scenes, and I was like, that's totally fine. I get it. We don't got to see him avert a dust storm and set out solar panels and read measurements, you know? Sure. We don't got to watch him flip a, a car after absolutely nothing fucking happened. Uh, ironically, those would have played <laughs> into
1: the visual medium better.
0: Right. and it, it's, which, Ironically. I know, but at the same time, it's like they, like Alex said, there were no long-term repercussions after these incidences. And yeah. so we were, it was easy enough for just to sort of cover past them. Not to mention, they didn't cut his communication. So right. NASA could have just told him, like, hey, you're fucking running into a dust storm, dummy. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I,
1: that's what I was saying. Like, when I watched the movie, Saving Mark Watney seemed reasonable, and the pacing was good. Like, sure. it was all going from, like, shit is bad, and it worked its way up to the climates, and it, and it felt yeah. like things were getting better and better the whole way. yeah not book, it was really bumpy.
0: I know I'm nitpicking the film a little bit, but it's it's only because I'm a critic.
1: Yeah, you're a critic, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm just defending the movie, right? Yeah. But I'm, also, but I'm also just saying, like, I don't think that the book, you know, gets undue praise just because it's a book, right? No, like, sure. I actually don't think that more content is better. And even though the book's only eight hours, I think Andy Weir could have trimmed it. <laughs> I actually think he could have. Like I, like I said, you know, that's what I am saying. I think the movie where it re-jiggers the pacing... I actually think it served, like, especially with his ending, where he's trying to be like, oh, humanity's all great and all that. Yeah, maybe you should have, like, left out, like, the the crippling of the Chinese space agency for a single astronaut, (laughs) right? Right? Like, maybe then I would give a shit, right? Yeah.
2: Was Andy Weir part of the screenwriting for the movie? Do you know? um, I
0: don't know. I'll look that up.
2: I tried looking it up, but internet here's All crap. Oh, right.
0: well, is it?
2: But I almost wonder if he did see those problems in his book. Like I was mentioning, yeah. he kind of got sick of his own problems. Maybe he tried to fix that in the movie after having the book out for a little while and hearing criticism on it and thinking about it on his own.
1: I do have uh, some commentary on this, though. To me, the most fictional part about the book is the entire premise of the book. It's the most fictional part that people all over the world are super invested in exploration for exploration's sake. And will divert a lot of money and resources that NASA can has has had multiple Mars missions and that the Earth is rallied behind all that. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is just such a weird book where like space is so important. And not just, not just important to all those science geeks and the people who are like, I want to go to space, but important enough that it got all this money.
2: It's a book where Trump never became president. It's a, Trump, yeah, it's
1: a book where Trump never became president. I don't know. You know, actually, Republicans love space programs because typically that's military. It's kind of tough. But uh, it, it is just this weird... Um, it, is, it is just this weird. Like, it's so weird. Like, the entire time I listened to the book, like, the more, like, I was just like... This is so unrealistic. It's like this alternate universe. And what's weird is it's not like a, you know, Andy Weir doesn't write it as an alternate history. But at times I was like, this is so, some, some strange alternate history where, where Iraq wars weren't important and 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 st- stupid identity politics isn't important and and goddamn uh, trying to figure out whether or not you could have a there's a war on the holidays or whether or not Halloween versus Christmas is important. No, knows what was important, going to space and going to Mars. And that's like the weird alternate history of the book.
0: So according to an article on Bustle, um, Drew Goddard, who did the screenplay, um, was in touch with Andy Weir often about technical details and the like. Uh And Andy Weir is on record for saying that he really likes the film adaptation. Okay. um, And the way it turned out. Good. So So just... Positive. That's my
1: commentary. My other commentary about the book, and I've kind of touched on this a little bit, is um, the, there's this whole thing with China and and like how they gave up on their mission. Yeah. And there is this, like, the book for me when I finished it was actually just like an incredible downer. Oh, no. I was just like, this is one of the most depressing books I've ever written, listened to. I was just like, this is a book where humanity lost. (laughs) He doesn't even bring back the goddamn samples we're mister Weir, it was a fucking waste god
2: but again they go over a lot of it how he's so much in the public eye and think about how we do like celebrity idolism and stuff like that it's really about what the mainstream public wants and they want the guy back they don't want the samples they don't want anything else they want
0: the story
1: you know what was actually really crazy about that is they talked about they're like oh yeah um Johansson, the pretty girl. Yeah, she's like her posters sold the most. I was like, (laughs) "There's posters of these fucking astronauts. This is such a bizarre alternate reality."
2: Not really. When we went to the moon, they had tons of posters of the moon astronauts. NASA's funding has been cut. They
0: need to find new ways to make money. This makes the whole
1: scenes of the vending machine make more sense. They just right? gotta nickel and dime the employees yeah. to get those Mars missions going. <laughs> no, this is so nuts. Like, yeah, they had the posters and stuff. You're right. There was like this like um, idolism in the book. Like, yeah. where they, you know there's just like celebrity idolism And so like maybe that's why the NASA thing worked out Because these astronauts are just amazing people And you know yeah. everyone loves them Astronauts
0: but I, are the new heroes But I thought about
1: it the whole time in the book I was just like how weird this world is And like how everyone is just on board with this And I was just like man like not even the, the you know not even the king of Spain was like Yeah I just really want to find out what's on the other side there
0: no he was
1: like do you think you'd get the india and you think
0: you think it'd be faster and he's like i will check for you you should fund it that being said i have followed a youtube channel of of an astronaut who's been to space a couple times and one who is an aspiring astronaut and they're very interesting people i bet they are a different cast of person (laughs) that being said
1: i do recommend this book um I, i will come down and say though that the movie is better and, uh, that being said, if you want to see the book, people, or, I mean, you want to read the book or listen to the audiobook, which the audiobook was great, um, I think it was pretty good. I think, you know, was, I was into it.
0: I also recommend the book, clearly. Um. Yeah, yeah really. I really. I also recommend the movie, even though I will say that the book is better. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I do think the movie's really good. Um, if you want to get a flavor for it and just do it in two hours instead of eight, go for it.
2: I do and have recommended the book already, but only because of those humor bits. Like like I said, I had a very love hate relationship throughout the entire book and I just but those humor bits kept me going, I'm like, what's the next funny, interesting thing gonna happen?
0: Well I think Garner made a, an interesting observation the other day while we we're playing Heroes of the Storm and that the main character does remind us a lot of our good friend Richard. Oh, yeah. I, um. <laughs> I actually felt that this was, was like, did, you know,
1: anywhere know Richard Wampler? And did he think that Richard Wampler would make an interesting astronaut? Yeah. I just want to add one more tidbit here. So I've obviously mentioned what I felt I would change about the book. Yeah. I would have one of the astronauts die. Just any of them. Mm-hmm. I don't give a damn. What would you change about the book if you could?
0: What oh, would I change?
1: Ooh. Yeah. If you, if you can go to Andy Weir, put a gun to his head, and said, you need to, you know, uh, <laughs> make an
0: adjustment. Um, let's see. I'm gonna ask it to you, Alex.
2: I already know mine, so I what would, would actually have an afterword. Like, I think it ends very abruptly. Oh, yes. Yes the that's hype true. and build up like he's just okay I'm safe on Hermes well what happens to Hermes what happens when he gets back to okay. Earth by the way the movie does an epilogue
0: it does okay. that's and why it's better I think that was a really good addition <laughs> to the film because when, when they did that I actually like without knowing it was there I was like this is totally coming the movie's gonna do a Saving Private Ryan transition which by the way was also my Damon <laughs> I haven't seen Saving <laughs> Yeah, and so they do that transition where he's a little bit older now, and sitting in a park bench, and um, and then, yeah, they do a little afterward, like, what's going on, and uh, I thought that would definitely be needed. But I can understand where Andy cut it off where he did, but... Alright, so what would you change? I don't know, man. I really don't know. You it's hard know. for me to say, like, it really needed this, or didn't need that. Like, all right, I, I'm just going to poke a little bit here. What do you think about the China segments?
1: Pro, Ford, would you mess around with it a little bit? I mean,
0: not really. Okay, I felt it was, it was very, I felt it had a very realistic edge to it. You know, they saw a problem, knew they could do something about it, but really weighed the consequences of it. Like, and circumvented the, their government in doing right, it. Right, and they're like, <laughs> yes. this is the economic <laughs> situation of the matter, you know? And I don't even know that they really circumvented it. Like, they no, they even to keep... said
2: it's going to be space agency to space agency and we're right. just going to present it to the government. As...
0: But what I gleaned from it is that they wanted to do the negotiating with NASA themselves instead of letting their government take it over. Because if they had gone to their government first, the government would have taken the reins and been like, this is what we want, this is what you're getting, and the likelihood was that the Chinese Space Agency would get nothing out of the deal, and this way they at least got an astronaut on one of the next Ares missions when they instigated negotiations, and and then were able to go to their government and be like, look, this is what's on the table. That's at least
1: how I read it. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't adjust that, and you're really not sure what you would change. Yeah, All right. I don't know. I was just curious if you... Uh...
0: I guess I would say, you know, I I definitely... If I, I guess maybe I would add some more significant stakes to some of the later um, problems, like you know,
2: trailer. I do like some maybe some more
0: serious injury to Mark Watney in the trailer flip, like personally. Oh, like, that would now be he's got a broken finger, and and he's got to do the rest of this shit with a broken finger. Yeah,
2: he ends up with all these back problems, but it doesn't say like what actually happens with that. It just kind of cuts time out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it would actually be really interesting
1: if like Mark Watney had like made it back like as his broken man, like lost his
0: eyesight or some shit. Yeah, I felt like the back injury was just an excuse to not hang out in Mars for a while. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be boring. <laughs> yeah, <kind laughs> of. All right, so we liked the book,
1: but we bashed it, yep. or mostly I screamed <laughs> about it.
0: And I believe that brings us to our decision for next month.
1: Yeah, so it's my turn. It
0: is your turn, which means right? we're doing
1: nonfiction. Oh god. <laughs> okay, so I have two popular, you know, fluffy nonfiction books. Fluffy. And then I have one not at all fluffy, like hard as stone. <laughs> mm. So our choices here. Our choices here are in the inevitable. And uh, let me let me pull it up here. The inevitable by Kevin Kelly. And this book is, um, its full title is The Inevitable Understanding the Twelve Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future. I tried to pitch this a while back. This is a book that is going to describe, like, how certain technologies, predicted ones, are going to change our lives. And I have heard that the book takes a dismal view of some of those things. Okay. And, mm. um, but I've heard about the book before, and it's, you know, it's, it's a futurist book sounds pretty neat another one i have heard of is called trekonomics the economics of star trek have you ever wondered like how the heck the federation would work at all this guy actually tries to seriously explore the problem of a society that had like no money right and uh and so that sounds interesting it's still pretty fluffy because I don't think we're ever going to be in a society with no money <laughs> yeah. but if you want to explore that idea this is this is a fluffy book on that and then the last book the last book here is Thoughts of the Emperor Marcus Aurelius Antonitus. The Complete Work Plus an Overview Summary Analysis and an Author Biography so Marcus I'm not sure if you know the fellow very well the Emperor here I don't. Okay, so he is um, considered one of the good emperors of Rome. And he's pretty much considered like one of the last really good ones. Okay. And um, he was a Stoic and he wrote Stoic philosophy. And the way we actually really know about Stoic philosophy is because of the stuff this guy wrote on a book huh. called The Meditations. And, um, and he describes like the way you should live your life and all of that. Um, the Meditations is actually a pretty short book. Um, by itself so this is with a historian who actually you know talks about context and talks about the history a little bit but it's still actually like an eight hour ride it's still not it's not like some 17 hour slog fest like thinking fast and slow sorry sean (laughs) Um, you know we're sorry if you got to this part you know you're a trooper and if you never hear this well I'm really sorry.
0: <laughs> I'll let him know he's been mentioned in a
1: episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um but this book, um, like I said, it's it's gonna be one of the you know, I actually don't totally know what to expect. I know a little bit about stoicism and obviously like Roman history and all that. Yeah. But um so Stoicism is about like trying to find like a middle ground in everything that you do. Uh
0: huh.
1: And um and so it's actually it's going to be a little bit like uh, Beyond Religion, a little bit, or a little bit like um, s- some other morality book. He's going to talk about like why you should do things
0: and that sort of thing, with some history. Well, well, well. quite a selection, sir. Yeah.
2: Well, I will say, in order of what I would prefer, would be Treconomics, Marcus Aurelius, and Inevitable.
0: Yeah. I, too, am leaning towards this trickonomics as a first pick. Only because I grew up on that show and, uh... Some of the... The summary talks a little bit about like the post-scarcity economic environment. Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting to me because I've considered some of that in other fictional environments like Minecraft and such. Yeah. Because um, I used to play on a, on a server with an economy... That was certainly post scarcity, and it was really bizarre. Yeah, it gets really <laughs> weird when you're in a post scarcity situation. Yeah, so, okay, so I think um, I think that's what we're picking. Yeah economics cool trigonomics
1: I, I just one commentary about that is um I recently tried to go back to the next generation and man the later seasons of that show are much better than the first season
0: yes
2: I've actually <laughs> been watching all of Star Trek from the original series through everything I'm currently like in the middle of Voyager I... and I'm having a hard time with Voyager because it's so inconsistent there's like really good episodes <laughs> and really bad episodes but actually I,
0: uh... hold, oh, up, hold up. Oh, one sorry. thing
2: an episode I was just watching last night, they actually talk about Fort Knox and you know, it used to be giant gold repository and then they went to a non-monetary system. So it became a museum and they're talking about the Ferengis trying to break into Fort Knox. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: (laughs) I was just going to say that um, a while back I started doing the same, but I got to um, deep space nine and started taking a hiatus that I haven't ended yet
2: (laughs) i actually watched deep space 9 through twice because somebody else was watching it with me and i have to say deep space 9 is probably my favorite so far
0: i know that i remember because i watched a lot of them in syndication and uh next generation is hands down my favorite but i also remember really liking voyager a little more so than ds9 simply because ds9 was a lot more um like, war and subterfuge episodes.
2: Yeah, it does get a lot into that, but
0: yeah.
2: Voyager is just so hit and miss. It's like...
0: But yeah, there, I do remember Ugh, there being some periods know. in Voyager. But, but, a it's, like, but you know. it's a book club,
1: and Josh is I going don't. to insert in, oh, like, yes. a little...
2: He's going to insert
1: in, like, us just trailing off about Voyager right here, and we're just going to go on and on.
0: So, Trigonomics by Manu Sadai. Next month, read it and join us and watch Star Trek.
1: Yeah, watch Star Trek because we might discuss that like, even more.
0: Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed. Sound effects provided by the F Sound Band and music provided by Ben Sound. Want to tell us what you thought of our review in the comments? And join us next time on... Book Bash!